Great. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jonathan Opart. I am president of the American Wicleosophic Society, uh, the organizers of tonight's debate. Wicleo is the world's oldest political, literary, and debate society, founded by James Madison during his tenure here at the university. Wicleo has been the center for political discussion on this campus for nearly 250 years. It is my pleasure to welcome you to tonight's debate. We are honored to be joined by Ms. Dorothy Lewis and Mr. David Horowitz. I've been asked by the Dean of Student Life Office to remind you of the proper conduct as outlined in Rights, Rules, and Responsibilities. <laughs> I would now like to introduce at this time the co-director of WICLIO's Speakers Program and the moderator of tonight's debate, David Robinson. Thank you, and good evening, everyone. Let me know if anyone is having trouble hearing. I don't quite know what the range on these mics is. My name is David Robinson, and I'll be moderating tonight's debate. Tonight, we're honored to be joined by Ms. Dorothy Lewis, one of the leading, one of the leading advocates for reparations in America, and also by Mr. David Horowitz, a conservative activist whose controversial newspaper ad, uh, advertisement, Ten Reasons Why... Uh, Reparations for Slavery is a Bad Idea and Racist Too uh, ran in the Daily Princetonian on April 4th. Um, okay, as you know, the question on the table tonight is whether or not the African American community is entitled to receive monetary reparations for slavery. We're going to start by giving each of our two participants a chance to make a five-minute opening statement. In debate, it's customary for the person who favors the proposal to speak first. For this reason, Ms. Lewis will be the first to speak this evening. After both of our participants have made their opening statements, we'll give each of them the opportunity to make a two-minute rebuttal of what the other has said. After the rebuttals, we'll spend the rest of our time on questions and answers. If you have a question for one of the participants or for both of them, write it down on your question card. The way this is going to work is questions will be collected at two different times. The first time is after the opening statements, and the second time is after the rebuttals. And what we're going to ask you to do is pass your cards toward the center of the section that you're sitting in, and the uh, ushers will be around to collect those cards um, and uh, convey them up here. Um, the way that the timing is going to work, the person to whom a question is addressed will have up to two minutes to respond, and the other participant will have up to a minute to respond as well if they so choose. Wigclio has conceived this debate in the spirit of John Locke's marketplace of ideas. It's our hope that we'll all come away from this evening's events with an enriched understanding, not only of views with which we agree, but also of those with which we do not agree. The goal is to put both sides of this issue on the table, to allow you to make your own decision on the merits. With that said, I now call on Ms. Dorothy Lewis to begin our debate. Thank you. Can you hear me? Good afternoon, or good evening. <laughs> it's a real pleasure to be here. I want to thank the Whig Cleosophic Society and John Opart, as well as David Horowitz, for this opportunity to talk to you tonight. I couldn't have arranged a better crowd myself if I had wanted it. <laughs> so the conversation that has been, reparations is a conversation 
that has been in the African community ever since emancipation. Through sharecropping, Jim Crow laws, peonage, years of lynching, black codes, and today through being shot down in the street, in our doorways, in our beds, in our cars. The reparations demand after 136 years has not been heard, but some people would rather blame the victim than blame the U.S. Congress, who has not honored its debt to African people. The reparations issue can best be illustrated by a tale of two holocausts. A few days ago, in the nation's capital, we had a day of remembrance for the millions of Jewish people lost at the hands of their government in Germany. A day of remembrance. There is no day of remembrance for the millions of Africans lost in the slave passage from Africa to Europe to the Americas, or for the millions more terrorized and robbed of their lives and their children right here in this country. We have um, a museum on the nation's capital, generously donated by American taxpayers and supported by American people to forever remember the Holocaust of Jewish people in Germany. There is no such museum for the African Holocaust here or the Native American Holocaust. This edifice will stand well into the next millennia. But we are told after 136 years, we should forget. Let bygones be bygones. Don't look at the glass as half empty. We are saying that the world is okay, but it can be a lot better. That we, too, want our Holocaust to be remembered. Uh, and that we should all remember the one that is in this country. The reparations issue is a demand for the war of enslavement to end. Slavery was but one manifestation of white supremacy. White supremacy is alive and well today. The reparations movement is a call for the lies that are being told in textbooks to be eradicated. We can have people talk about the benefits of slavery because of the lies that are in our textbooks that say as much, that celebrate our tormentors. I was one of those people who in the fourth grade was taught the benefits of slavery. If my grandmother had not told me stories, along with ghost stories and Little Red Riding Hood, stories about slavery, I may have believed that teacher as some of our African uh, students, as well as other students believe, based on what we read in textbooks. What message does celebrating our personal Hitlers give to African children in this community? That we hold up the very people who were responsible for our tortures as people to be admired and celebrated. What message does that give to other members of the community? 
about the value of African people that after experiencing the most heinous activities, that those who committed those activities can be held up as paragons of virtue. We say that it is important to the future of this country that the history of this country be told, the truth be told about its origins. We must be embarrassed about its origins because we lie so much about it. And we say we cannot have a one America until we can have one truth about America. And if we are ashamed of the past, this reparations issue is an opportunity to put a marker between the past and the future that we can build together as one people. If we are not our ancestors, if we don't like the legacy that we have, we have the opportunity to create a new legacy. With reparations, we can begin to turn around the business of prison building, of railroading African people into prisons and re-enslavement, and disenfranchising African people. We did not get the full opportunity to vote until 1965, and here in 2000, we find that our votes are not even counted. The war is not over. The reparations issue brings attention to that. It is an opportunity for Americans of all colors to create America that is different from the one we have. And I ask you to become like the abolitionist of old days, to become reparationists now, to finish the job of abolitionists, to finish the job of Lincoln, because emancipation without reparations is a farce. We would not be on welfare. We would not be begging for affirmative action or this and that or the other if we had had the benefit of the wealth that our ancestors created. Ms. Lewis, um, thank, thank you very much. I, I'm obliged to point out that your time is up and we'll explore the issue further in, in question and answer period. Thank you. I wasn't even looking at hands. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I now call on Mr. Horowitz. Thank you. I want to thank David Robinson and the Clios for inviting me here, and uh, I want to thank Dorothy Benton Lewis for joining me again. This is the third time we've done this, and uh, uh, coming to present an argument, uh, a dialogue, something that universities are supposed to be about, but the uh, was more, I guess, than the uh, <clears throat> intellectually challenged, arrogant, callow character assassins at the Daily Princetonian were unable to do. Uh, these people, the princes <clears throat> are so terrified of uh, facing uh, the uh, ideas they, they disagree with and obviously can't handle uh, that I understand that they've organized an event after this event uh, to which I am uh, to avoid and avoided inviting me to discuss these issues. I will uh, make right here now, I will forego uh, the bouillabaisse I was intending to have at the Nassau Inn, uh, if any of you can persuade um, these twerps, uh, you know, uh, to engage. Uh, it is an absolute disgrace 
an absolute disgrace what has happened on this campus. It's a disgrace that there have to be uh, campus security guards here. It's a disgrace that a, a paper of an institution like this should uh, think that slander uh, is an argument. It's a disgrace, the silence of your faculty. Uh, Sean Willens, a professor of history at this university, went all over the country uh, to get uh, signatures uh, to defend a, a, a perjurer in the White House, but he can't raise his finger, and apparently no other professor is uh, capable of opening their mouths to defend intellectual diversity on this campus, or the uh, simple civilized uh, discourse. Uh, so I have to begin this by uh, attempting in two seconds to present who I am. I have been a civil rights activist for 50 years. I marched in my first demonstration for civil rights. It was on behalf of uh, Harry Truman's Fair Employment Practices Commission in 1948, before probably anybody in this room was born and probably before a lot of your parents were born. Um, and and uh, I am still a civil rights activist, and I, uh, I am the architect of a bill that would provide $100 billion, a Republican bill, I may say, $100 billion to provide a $7,000 a year scholarship to every single child in a Title I school, which is 12 million, all poor, mainly black and Hispanic children. I, of course, uh, it is absurd that I have to say this, but of course slavery was a crime against humanity. I am, of course, a supporter of reparations for slaves, and for former slaves. I support the reparations for the Rosewood victims of race riots in Tulsa and the Tuskegee experiment. I uh, am actually a, a supporter and I'm working with uh, John Lewis and J.C. Watts to get that um, Museum of African American History on the mall. The reason I uh, wrote this ad, aside from the fact that you are inhabitants of one of the least free institutions in America. American universities are the least free institution. You, know, you can laugh, but uh, the only way somebody can present one side of this argument is to come here with security guards uh, blanketing the place and to be willing to stand up and to be called a racist. How many of you uh, would like to be accused of being a racist on this campus? And that's why uh, your professors are, have their mouths shut because the, the campuses are terrorized by um, left-wing uh, left totalitarians who do not want, well, what do you think this is about? What do you think, there's one, you have one conservative professor on this campus. That is a disgrace. I was a Marxist at Columbia in the McCarthy 50s, and I can tell you the, the campuses were a lot freer in those days. I, ne I would never be graded for my uh, politics. I would never be melted, made to feel uh, like a pariah uh, or stigmatized in the way that this campus has attempted to stigmatize me today. Here in a nutshell is what's wrong with the reparations argument. How are you going to tell Jose Martinez who may have come to this country in the last 10 years and is struggling to put bread on the table for his children, that he has to pay reparations for an institution uh, that was destroyed 136 years ago, and the reparations he has to pay 
which is going to take money away from the needs of his family, is going to go to people like Johnny Cochran and Jesse Jackson, who are multimillionaires. What this, this is a movement by extreme leftists. It's been a marginal movement for 30 years in this country, ever since James Foreman raised it in the 60s. Um, and what it will do is it will set the African-American community against every other community. Yeah, the, 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 another problem with it is that the suit is against the wrong government. The Confederacy was the slaveocracy. The northern government, the government of free states where people were free, where 350,000 people gave their lives to destroy slavery, that's who's being sued. It doesn't make any sense. And it isn't going to do one thing for those 12 million kids in those failing K-12 schools. You cannot, uh, and you know, only the mindless left would dream up the idea that you, you want to accuse uh, Vietnamese refugees, Mexican immigrants, uh, refugees from Kosovo, uh, and, and accuse them of being white racists who are responsible for all of black poverty, all of the problems the black community faces, and, and give us money. Does that make sense to anybody in this room? I mean, you're all bright people. It is stupid. It's politically insanity. The only people it serves are the leaders of this movement because it will embitter black people because African Americans are not going to get the reparations. It will embitter them and so they will give more money and more credence to their leaders who get on these grandstands and basically shake down the guilty. There are plenty of you know, guilt runs all over uh, society. They get guilty people to line their pockets, which is just how Jesse Jackson became a millionaire working for the poor. Thank you, Mr. Horowitz. Right at this point, if you have a question written down, of course you're aware there'll be a second chance to do this after the rebuttals phase. If you have a question written down, please pass it to the center. Ushers will collect, and I presume someone will give me a signal when that process is complete. Um, as this happens, I'd just like to fill in with some of the facts about the uh, informal gathering, which is to occur after, after this debate, since uh, Mr. Horowitz uh, brought it up. Um, uh, and before I should do that, if you're writing questions, if anyone is strongly inclined to ask questions about the situation with the Daily Princetonian, that is certainly within the realm of possibility. Um, but as to the, the purpose and nature of the forum that's going to occur for any interested students after this event, the reason that was organized is to give you all a chance to talk, because we realize it can be frustrating for everyone here to sit and have to write things down and not be able to take the floor. Uh, and uh, that's, that's, that was our rationale for organizing uh, that event. I would hope that we can spend most of our energies talking about the issues here and not the format of the discussion. Um, so could somebody let me know when we've got the questions? We are going to do rebuttals after the questions are collected. Oh, oh okay. Because then our people are able to look through the questions while you're rebutting. I know Dorothy wants to have Dorothy, did you have those little brochures? I left oh. my book on the plane with I let, I left mine, too. Oh, I don't have those brochures. What do you need? My address? I'll, I'll have somebody contact you on this. You know, the little things. Like yeah. yeah. No, I have All right. Thank you very much. Uh, we are now ready to begin the rebuttals phase.
of our opening portion, and in order to do that, I would call first on Ms. Lewis to give a two-minute rebuttal. The reparations issue is not a personal attack on any individual American, new or old. It is a call for accountability of the U.S. government, which survives generations. The U.S. government was enriched by slavery. It has a debt, and the debt must be paid. To people who are recent immigrants to America, we say welcome to America. Our, our assets are your assets. Our liabilities are your liabilities. Our friends are your friends. Our enemies are your enemies. You can partake of the benefits, but you must also contribute to the debts. Uh, thank you. I, I now would invite Mr. Uh, Horowitz to rebut. Well, again, the, the problem is it's the wrong, it's the wrong government. Um, and it, the other problem is that you can't separate the government from the taxpayers who have to pay the money. And it would be much better uh, if, if money is wanted for programs to try to get the money for the programs than to get the money as a, a kind of guilt trip of people and an accusation, which is what this movement is about, against people uh, that they're responsible um, for the crime of slavery. There's also a, um, in the reparations argument, um, there is a claim, or the claim of the reparations proponents is that every deficit that is suffered by the black community in America is caused by slavery or some external power, whether it's segregation, which has been dead for 50 years in this country, or... <laughs> well... <clears throat> Um, you know, it's very interesting. Um, I don't know what the situation is on this campus, but they, of course college campuses are the most segregated institutions in America. And they're segregated a lot by, by black students and other minority students who withdraw into their own... Well, listen, I've been at Cornell. Um, like I say, I'm not familiar with the situation on this campus, but there are black graduations and, uh, um, you know, there university itself separates out people in the beginning. I don't see any protests against the orientations which separate people out by groups. Uh, I'm a, I'm, I, I am a supporter and will support Ward Connolly's new initiatives to take racial identification out of all government programs out of the census. Uh, the people who support reparations are strong advocates of racial boxes and racial identification. Um, the problem is that if you blame other people for every problem that you face, you're not, you don't have control over your own lives. Uh, I, I mean, that's the big, the big issue here. Um, it is ridiculous to, to ascribe to uh, slavery, for example, the breakdown of the inner city black family when black families were intact as late as 1965, 75% of all black families had two parents in 1975. Today, 80% of the children in the inner city are born out of wedlock, and that is 90% of the explanation of why they're poor. Uh, th thank you, Mr. Horowitz, for your rebuttal speech. Um, and thank you to everyone in the audience for uh, the decorum that we're uh, having. 
Um, I'd like to initiate uh, the question and answer phase. And incidentally, so now if you want to submit further questions, you can pass them to the center uh, once more. Uh, and if anyone is still writing, legibility is a big plus. Uh, I'm doing, I'll do my best to, to read exactly as these, these questions are written. Um, so uh, if anyone has further questions to pass toward the center, I guess do that now. Um, and as that's happening, I'll ask the first question of Mr. Horowitz. The question is, how can you account for the years of discrimination that have been faced um, by the black race? If we don't deserve reparations for slavery, how about the years of segregations, practices such as redlining, blockbusting, and more importantly, the degradation of our inner city school system due to the white government's reluctance to provide adequate funds to blacks? Uh, <clears throat> All right, look. Uh, let's start with the school system. Um, one of the richest school systems in America in terms of the amount of money that's put in per child, it's about $11,000 per kid, is the Washington D school system, which is one of the worst in the country. The reality in America today is not white supremacy and white versus black. The school systems in America that where black kids are most prominent, which is your big inner city school systems, are run by blacks and Hispanics. You look at the, the school boards of superintendents, the Democrats Democratic Party in the first place, uh, the left in the second place, and black and Hispanic uh, people run these school systems. Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, D.C., St. Louis, uh, Houston, anywhere you go, that's the reality. So wake up, stop, you know, get rid of this leftist claptrap that is gluing up your minds and start thinking about the real world. Uh, discrimination. There's no way to make up for the crime of slavery or of segregation or of discrimination. It can't be done. This is, you know, this is the real world. You don't make up for it. The question is, what do you do to help people now? If you think that discrimination alone uh, holds people down, think again. Japanese Americans had everything were interned. The whole bloody community of them were put in camps during the Second World War, they had their property taken away. They're the second richest ethnic group in America today, richer than Anglo-Saxons. Wake up! This is not, the world is, cannot be uh, solved by these stupid formulas. The reality is, every group in America, no group as much as black people, but every group in America comes you know, they've had injustices committed against them. It's one of the reasons people come to America. You had the Armenians were massacred. You know, the Vietnamese were betrayed and lost everything and came over here in boats. And you just go on and on like that. that the question you. is, what do you do now? And the reparations idea is a very bad idea for African Americans and for everybody else. Thank you, Mr. Horowitz. Uh, Ms. Lewis, you have up to a minute uh, to respond if you choose. Yes, there is something you can do. You can pay for the stolen labor. There are many estimates of what that stolen labor is from slavery to the present. And with those resources, we do not have to depend on the charity of the U.S. government. We want our reparations. Mr. Horowitz does not worry about the taxpayer dollars that go to support the state of Israel. 
He does not worry about the taxpayer dollars that were airlifted from Russia, that airlifted Russians to escape anti-Semitism to be resettled in, in Israel. He only worries about the taxpayer dollars when it comes to African Americans. The U.S. government has forced uh, governments all around the world to, be rep to pay reparations to people that they have harmed in their own country. So we are saying that this country has to pay reparations for the harm done to people in this country. The harm done to Japanese Americans was rightly uh, redressed, I don't think adequately addressed. Native Americans are demanding reparations and receiving it after 128 and 130 and 150 years. Africans in this country have not received a dime and because the, um, the African, the last slave died, I've forgotten what year it was, but it's a true criminal who waits until the last witness is dead and then say, oh, now I'm off the hook. There is no need to pay reparations. If you've had every single payday of your life stolen, your family's pay for 300 years, your life will look materially different if somebody else and some other community benefited from that labor. That's the format that was agreed right. upon. I'm, I'm sorry for, uh, about that. Uh, so one thing I'm going to try to do, since there are a lot of questions that, are, that sort of overlap, when I can is to combine them. Um, so that we'll be able to cover what people want to get asked. The next question is for Ms. Lewis, and I'd like to preface it by saying that some other questions have brought up the point that both of the participants in the debate agree on things like museums and uh, some of their substantial and other institutional things. So there are substantial areas of agreement, and I think people are most interested in hearing about uh, the things where you diverge, that is to say, monetary you know, transfers from the, from the government. Um, and again, of course, that was the premise of our debate, is, is monetary reparations. Uh, so for Ms. Lewis, I have a question. Mm -hmm. How would it be logistically possible to determine who is deserving of reparations? Only those who have uh, had uh, ancestors directly uh, uh, experience slavery, or should it be the entire African-American community, would this not be a bureaucratic problem? It would be a problem that we would enjoy. We say that um, it is up to the African-American community to answer those questions, because reparations would represent, for the first time, an opportunity for African-Americans to determine what is in the best interest of the African community. Now there are many ways that reparations could be paid and, and not in one day. It was stolen over time. It could be paid over time. It can be a mix of, of, of uh, strategies. It is a diverse community. So it's up to the African community to look at those questions and that is a part of what the, Af uh, the um, National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations is doing, going around the community, asking questions, holding hearings. Uh, we also have a, a, a reparations lawsuit which looks at harm in different areas of our community, wealth and poverty, education, nationhood, and health. Looking at harm and then remedy and connecting that to what a price would be. We have not addressed a lot of ills in our community that are the direct result of slavery. We don't have our own um, 
National Institute of Mental Health or National Institutes of Health that deal with issues that are peculiar to the African community. We need the resources to do that. We want to put the resources that are a priority to our community and not always be subjected to what other people think are the priorities of the, our community. So it would be the first opportunity that we have to experience democracy in this country. I don't have any, um, I, I, maybe I'm not communicating well, but I have no problem with government money. I just said I have architected a bill that has gone through the Congressional Budget Office that would provide a hundred billion dollars to poor black and Hispanic children in our inner city schools. I have a problem with the reparations idea, which is that you can punish living Americans uh, for, a, for crimes that many of them, the vast majority of them, don't feel any connection to. Because even their ancestors weren't here when there was slavery. Or if they were here, they were in free territories and free states. Uh, and many of their ancestors died fighting against slavery. That's the problem. Uh, the problem is not... You know, as I said at the outset, I'm for paying, I would be, I, 40 acres and a mule was not enough. There is no, there's nothing that's really enough if you've been enslaved. But all the slaves are dead, and all their children are dead, and probably all their grandchildren are dead or near death. There may be some hundred-year-old people left. My grandfather came to this country, and he earned three dollars a week. And they forced him to sleep under his sewing machine in the factory. Uh, it takes, you know, generations to work out of that. But it's not like everybody starts out wealthy. I mean, there's this crazy idea. I mean, the stolen labor, uh, the wealth of the South was destroyed in the Civil War. Read some of the books. Um, thank you, Mr. Horowitz. Uh, I, I now, uh, it's your turn to be asked a question. And one has come up about the Daily Princetonian. My issue. favorite paper. Well, you've made that ab abundantly clear. Uh, so, um, so I'd like to ask uh, the. So this is a, a lengthy question, and, and, and the gist of it. And I, I, I'm sorry, whoever asked this, I, I'm doing my very best to read everyone's handwriting. But there's a serious, there's a serious issue here, and the issue is that when you bring. Uh, your ad to other college papers, there's clearly a free speech subtext, even though, as you conceded recently at Berkeley, it's not exactly a free speech issue when you purchase an advertisement. Nonetheless, um, th there's a free speech issue, and you've been quick to point out when people are less than embracing of free speech in terms of when they decline to print your advertisement. Um, so I'm wondering how you would uh, respond to the idea that the prints uh, the Daily Princetonian, by by saying what they said about your uh, your ad, whether it was accurate or inaccurate, whether it was substantiated or not substantiated, how does that not qualify as an free exercise speech. of free speech? And what differentiates the free speech you should have from the free speech that you believe the Daily Princeton should Well, have? I don't believe that people should go around slandering each other. I don't think it's healthy, and I don't think it qualifies... I mean, it is, it is certainly free speech, there's no question about it, but I'm not going to defend 
liable, particularly liable to, directed against me. Um, but you know, okay. uh, you know, we there's a code. That, this is sheerest hypocrisy on this campus, because as everybody knows, if anybody in this room were to uh, uh, utter a slur against any group or any person, uh, they would be, you know, you have a big apparatus of repression on this campus that will come down on your head. And what I was trying to do, uh, the, the reason that I put these ads in at all was just because I'm aware that this campuses like Princeton are not free in a very fundamental sense. You know, freedom isn't the freedom, I'm sure, I mean, don't, I, people feel they can go without constraints in this room, but that's probably because you're always sitting in classrooms where uh, there's a nice sh uh, you know, shade to the political left and you feel comfortable. The, the way you know this is not a free campus is because there is only one conservative professor on it. it is, it's absurd. Uh, the way you know this is an unfree campus is because uh, when I post an ad, which is a perfectly reason, reasoned arguments, where there is not one uh, um, attempt to disrespect or to uh, you know, put a slur on any group, because they wouldn't have printed it at all if that were this. Look, my article on reparations appeared in Salon.com, which is a left-wing magazine, but it's in the real world. It's not in the university where all my comrades from the 60s, you know, fled to avoid going to, uh, to into war against, uh, uh, you know, to defend freedom and stayed and then shut down the university. This campus has been purged of diverse intellectual influences and this is this will this hurts you all I don't care if you're left or right in this room you cannot learn how to think if you're never facing uh, you know an opponent like me on either side you just not you know you're not getting the education that you really need and it's not going to fit you for the battle uh, that you want to fight I I'd like to um, say that free um, speech is apparently not free because he paid for the ads, I suppose, and with uh, resources, with resources, people can exercise more free speech. And so we in Encobra, a, gla a grassroots movement, a grassroots organization, does not have the resources to get our speech heard or to have our voice heard. The lack of resources have for the last 136 years rendered us a voiceless people in many respects. It is only in recent months that the Johnny Cochran's and the Randall Robinson's have come out on this issue, and we welcome them. But this is a grassroots movement of people who want to exercise the right to self-determination in their lives and not have other people like Horowitz deciding what is best for their community. This is a community that wants to decide what is best for itself. What type of education is best for this community? A community that also gave their lives for the liberation of people in Europe and also, after which, gave millions of dollars to rebuild, billions of dollars to rebuild Europe, and billions of dollars to, um, to people in Israel 
and in this country because of their experience. So we're saying that the generosity of American people should not only deal with people in other countries, but should deal with the Holocaust that has been in this country and which has not been redressed. At, the, at this point, I'd like to just exercise discretion as the chair to ask a follow-up question of Mr. Horowitz. Uh, for those of you who are not regular readers of Salon.com, Mr. Horowitz has a column there and recently wrote one about uh, why, quote, why I won't pay the Daily Princetonian. And I, I'd like to just read a few quotes from that and then ask you a question about it. The quotes are uh, referring to other campus conservatives, you say, quote, they're potential targets of the same kind of reckless hate speech that Dan Stevens and the editors of the Daily Princetonian directed at me. Uh, and just briefly, two others. One is, you say, um, regarding, the, regarding Stevens' unsigned, uh, the, the editorial board's unsigned you know, uh, staff editorial, you say, uh, exactly what aspect of the aspects of the message were racist, Stevens and his fellow witch hunters naturally left to their readers' imaginations. Uh, just in terms of, you know, characterizations of people, I thought that might be germane for the audience to know. But the question that I'd like uh, to ask you is, you say uh, that the check that paid for the ad has been stopped pending an apology from the Daily Princetonian. And then you say, in the absence of this decency, I will donate it myself, referring to the money for the ad, uh, but to a cause of my choosing, because they, of course, the Prince had said they donated it to the Urban League. I'd like to know uh, if you would mind, would mind uh, sharing with us where that money is now and what the cause is to which you uh, sure. donated it. Um, sure. Um, I'd like to say a number of things. First of all, um, this is my third debate with uh, Dorothy Benton Lewis, and I think that uh, we've gone on long enough to, so that you know that Dorothy and I probably don't agree on anything. And yet Dorothy is a model uh, of the way a debate should be conducted. I've done this three times with Dorothy. There have been no ad hominem attacks uh, on either side. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> down the wrong side. And, uh, you know, why can't Princeton, why can't the Daily Prince behave this way? That's really the, that's the issue here. This is how you air, this is how you get differences of opinion. This is how we, we, we kind of try to live together. Um, now, here's my problem with the, with the money. And it is a witch hunt. And it's not uh, conservatives. I, I, I will bet anything that there are people in this room who think of themselves as liberals who are much more uh, worried about being falsely accused of, of having some kind of prejudiced thoughts and therefore don't step out on issues even when they think, well they just don't. That's what it's all about. This is just like, it's, it's racial McCarthyism. I understand this very well because as I say, I, had a, I was a, you know, a communist in the, I wouldn't a member of the party, but my parents were in the 1950s during McCarthyism, where people were afraid, and it was mainly liberals, that somebody would accuse them of having communist ideas and that would be a career ruiner or a reputation wrecker. It's the same issue today, but the word now is racism. My problem is this. Um, with the, my problem with the Urban League 
Well, first of all, my problem is I want an apology from the Daily uh, for, uh, Princetonian for slandering me and for, I mean, not even bothering. I mean, just a casual, arrogant, aristocratic sort of, you know, slander. No attempt to justify or anything. I mean, one quote from the article that would justify such a, uh, a strong a accusation. Here's my problem with the Urban League. The Urban League is currently on a campaign, uh, hold your applause, uh, to undermine the SAT tests. Now, as a member of a minority myself, I know, and if anybody would familiarize themselves with the history of the SATs, you will know they were devised in order to protect minorities from prejudiced admissions officers because they were objective and standardized. That's the whole purpose of the SATs. They are also... Mr. Horowitz, pardon me, I'm sorry, but the time has expired. Well, I can't... Anyway, so I'm, I don't want to give it to the Urban League because I think this is very destructive for... Yeah, for the African-American community. And here I'm in agreement with Jack White, who's a black columnist for time, who's also slandered me. Um, forgive me, did you, you did say where you, you had sent the money? or? I am. I, the other thing is I, I intended to come tonight and announce to whom I'm giving it. But I know, I understand the left, which is all over this country and communicates through the Internet, um, they will attack. I would like to give, I mean, I wanted to give it to a, a charity that I, I support, uh, which provides tutors for homeless kids in Los Angeles. But I know the left will come and punish that charity. So I am just going to wait. I, either I will get an apology or people will forget and I'll be able to give the money to a good cause. Uh, well, thanks for uh, sh sharing your, your thoughts. Um, <laughs> I, you know... I, I think, I, I again, want to commend everyone for the decorum that's going on here. It's very important and very, Sounds very like good. Sounds like praying. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how things are going. I'd like to ask the next question of Ms. Lewis. The next question is for Ms. Lewis. The question is, one of my friends is half black and half white. What do you feel is his responsibility? And on the flip side, if he's not responsible for paying, should he get reparations? Well, if your friend is half black and half white, he is black. In America, the definition... <laughs> Of black was if you had one drop of African blood, you were black. There are many people who are very fair and could pass for white, but who've been thrown off trains because they were discovered to be black. So you have one drop of African blood, you're black. And uh, Africans who pay taxes in this country may for the first time get the benefit of their own taxes, along with everybody else's. Part of the reparation settlement, however, can be similar to what legislators all over the country are now doing, uh, introducing legislation to exempt um, Jewish people who are receiving funds for their different experiences in Germany from paying taxes on it. So part of our reparation settlement could be exemption from taxes for a certain number of years. With reparations, we're looking at economic development for self-reliance so that we can begin to create jobs in our own communities instead of having other companies come in and get mega tax write-offs 
for creating temporary jobs. With reparations, we can create permanent jobs in our communities by being able to own the means of producing what we consume. That would be one aspect of our reparation settlement. Others have to do with education. We don't want the same kind of education that we've been getting. It's a systemic problem. So the black people who are in control in some of these, uh, in some of these states are just neo-colonialists for the purpose of education and passing on the same kind of slave type education that we've had all along. I um, yeah. To me, as, as as somebody who has been in, in civil rights battles for half a century, I I find this very sad. Here is the racist um, the racist doctrine of one drop of blood for southern racists and for racists everywhere. Uh, the one drop of black blood taints you. Uh, and, and makes you into whatever it is, the inferior feared other. And here we now have the left, uh, which has, you know, historically claims to be the champion of social justice and equality, clinging to the racial identifications. Uh, I would like to see, uh, I would like to see us just drop all of those identifications and treat people as individuals in their own uh, merit uh, and for their own worth. The idea that all black, all, the idea that all all African Americans in this country uh, are poor is about 50 or 60 or 70 years out of date. The reality is <clears throat> that most black people are in the middle class. Thank you, Mr. Horowitz. Um, I, I, um, the next, the next question. It's your turn to uh, to be asked a, a question, um, and so I ask uh, on a card here: If you support reparations for the Tuskegee victims, Rosewood uh, vic victims, and uh, Holocaust victims, how do you deal with the fact that people not responsible for the government's uh, actions in those cases must pay. It's those a good, that's a very good question, and I don't, um, you know, I, I don't particularly have an answer to it. The problem is that the difference is they're all victims, and what's going on here is the left's desire to uh, uh, tell black people in this country that they're all victims, uh, which is a crippling message to send to anybody. If your destiny is controlled by other people all the time, you don't have any power. And the reality is, I mean, here's the way I look at the last 136 years. Uh, black people in 1865 had nothing, most of them, um, in America. They had been stripped of their language, their culture, their religion, their community roots, uh, their family uh, ties, and yet 136 years later, the collective income of the African-American community, it makes it the 10th richest nation on earth. That is an astounding achievement. It's something that Du Bois, 50 or 60, I was just reading, uh, Du Bois, 50 or 60 years, was pointing out within a generation of slavery. The, the, this is the message, if you want to empower people, you want to give them some sense of achievement, not always going to the great white father and asking for another handout. This is just not the way to do it. Well, well, that's what it is. What you, this is. Give us the money and we'll be able to make our way. 
you know, when the average American looks out there oh, and they see, uh, you know, all these hundred million dollar contracts going to black ball players. They know that Oprah Winfrey is the richest woman in America. They see uh, Robert Johnson, who, who is, uh, I think he's now an owner of Viacom, for crying out tears. Lots of people have succeeded. Millions, tens of millions of people have succeeded against huge odds. You know, let's do it. Uh, um, I know. Give Ms. Lewis the opportunity to respond. Okay, we're not asking for a handout. We're asking for the stolen loot to be returned. And if we did not have all of the impediments that have been hurdled in our path, we would not be number 10, we would be number one. And this country is a better place because women have stood for their rights, Africans have stood for their rights, people who stand for rights make the country a better place in which to live. It's not that we're looking and saying the glass is half empty. We're saying that this is good, but it could be better. And that's what we want to make this country. I now have a question for Ms. Lewis. Uh, and again, I'd like to remind both of the participants that to the extent that you're able to watch the uh, time signals, I won't have to uh, you know, speak about it. It's, it's fine. Uh, OK, so for the question for it's Ms. Lewis, <laughs> could, um, could you point to specific examples today of textbooks that celebrate slaveholding? And are you implying that American society, by and large, still, quote unquote, celebrates slaveholding? Absolutely. We can look at our monuments throughout the nation. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. We had eight U.S. presidents, slaveholders, and untold numbers of Congress people. You know, and they are we are taught that these are wonderful, upstanding, righteous people. That is a real contradiction. What is message does that give? We are steadily building prisons for people who rape, steal, and murder. We talk about gang bangers, and yet we had a bunch of gang bangers over here stealing land, stealing people, enslaving people. You know, we need to call it what it is. The, Africa is what it is today because Europeans got together like a bunch of gang bangers and giving it up. People. Uh, I, I guess uh, the Europeans put those machetes in the hands of the Hutus. Uh, or the Tutsis, so they would slaughter men, women, and children, hundreds of thousands of them, and load the rivers, uh, you know, with blood. And this is uh, this is this fantasy of the left. And again, it's everything that's wrong. Uh, you know, a European must have done. Uh, you know, look, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson did own slaves, but Thomas Jefferson is the author of a phrase in the declaration on which this country was founded that is responsible for the fact that slavery was ended. There are millions, there are millions, 
Look, Africa's still got slavery. Africa enslaved the slaves and, and sold them to the Europeans. The Europeans freed the slaves, not quick enough for sure, but they did it. It wasn't done, it's not like uh, Africans ended the slave trade. It's Britain and America that did. History is complex. You want simplicity, well, you're going to feel real good about it, I know, at Princeton, because you've got a lot of left-wing losers on your faculty who will give you A's for saying that. You know, but get into the real world and things will be, you know, a little different. Yes, response? Um, yes. Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, I agree that the slaughter of the Hutus and genocide all over the world need to be studied. Yet we have in this country a museum to one Holocaust. If we are to learn about Holocaust, we should talk about all of the Holocaust. We should begin to understand the mentality of people who can commit Holocaust. Slavery is still alive and well, yet we don't even want to study slavery. We have a bill, H.R. 40, that would study the mentality that would uh, enslave people. Yet we have prisons with slavery. Slavery is still legal in the USA. And we say we need to study the mentality of a country and a people who would enslave people, hold them in bondage for 400 years, and then release them when they have no further need for that particular form of economic development and call it charitable release. <laughs> All right, the next question is for Ms. Lewis. Um, you you uh, have proposed uh, monetary uh, payments to people based on their race, uh, and it's very true that many of the people in the racial group of African Americans are disadvantaged and uh, have, you know, received government services and, and legitimately need our help. Uh, but again, as Mr. Horowitz has pointed out, it is also true that there are African Americans out there who are succeeding wonderfully well, Oprah being one case in point. So what I'd like to ask what I'd like to ask you is, um, given that we now have systems where we give help to those most in need, whether they're black, Hispanic, or white, or whatever their race may be, uh, and given that, of course, many of the beneficiaries of such programs are black, what makes race-based payments preferable to payments based on need, which may go to black, to the extent, black people to the extent that black people are in need? I think charity is wonderful for those who need it. But when you have a debt that needs to be paid, it must be paid. Black people might like to help some people instead of being helped. With the resources that are due to the African community, we may be in a philanthropic position, a charitable position. But if harm is done on the basis of race, then remedy must be made on the basis of race. Mr. Howard. Well, that's one of my problems with this. It's a racial. Uh, this is that's why I called it racist. It's all on the basis of skin color. There were thousands of black slave owners in America. There were tens of thousands of free blacks who fought for the Confederacy in America. Uh, it's not about just 
race. And it's certainly not about race today when we have, I mean, in my city, there's 120 languages spoken. This is a very complex pluralistic society. I was noticing, by the way, the titters over Oprah. It reminded me of a, a joke. Um, and it, uh, the joke, I know everybody's waiting. And wait, wait, wait till he, you know, the, in, the guy inside comes out and we can pounce on him. The joke is a, it's about a little guy and a big guy. And the little guy says, if I was as big as you, I'd be heavyweight champion of the world. And the big guy says, oh, yeah, why aren't you little weight, a lightweight champion of the world? And that's the same thing. Okay, so you can't make $750 million and be Oprah Winfrey. She is an extraordinary human being. But, you know, how about 25000 How about getting up off the ground, uh, you know, getting your life together, uh, and, uh, you know, just joining the rest of, uh, of America? It's not like everybody is rich. The idea that black people in this country are held back because there's some white people running around trying to figure out how to hold black people down all the time is idiotic. It's just idiotic. That's not the problem. The problem, when you have 80% of your children in the inner city born out of wedlock, and you, you know you could look at the statistics if you like, you're six times more likely to be poor if you don't have a father in the home. That's a problem. If you look statistically, it's not like white people are running around the inner city saying, oh, get the fathers out of the home, you know, get them addicted, do this and that. That's not what's happening. This is a problem. There is a problem the black community has that it has to face, and it can't face it if it's always looking to Washington and uh, some debt from 136 years ago that isn't owed to anybody alive. It's owed to those people who are dead. They're the ones who had to work without getting paid. They didn't go to Princeton. You know, when I wanted to go to, you know, I, I went to the Ivy League, but I, I could not go to Princeton because in the 1950s there were no Jews here. I went to the Jew Ivy League school at Columbia. Um, but, you know, things change. You know, stop whining, everybody. Your tax dollars pay to establish a country in Palestine named Israel based on a 25, a 2,000 500-year-old biblical reference, 136, 2,500. Nobody in the world today had anything to do with what happened 2,500 years ago, yet your tax dollars and mine established a country among a people who had nothing to do with the gassing of Jews in Germany. So, that's... And people being born out of wedlock may be a legacy of slavery, because in slavery we were not allowed to marry. In fact, we were breeded like animals, sold families one from another, from plantation to plantation, and the welfare system did not allow men in the home. Economic development is at the root of the disunity of black families, and with reparations, we can heal our families. I'd like to return because there were some questions asked 
uh, that didn't didn't get asked earlier. I'm in the, the unfortunate position of having to sift through and not being able to ask all the questions that have been submitted. But uh, one thing that did come up earlier and that I'd like to return to, and I guess this is a question uh, for both of you, is that there's been an analogy drawn between the Holocaust, uh, uh, pardon if it's not, I mean, I mean World War II and the experience of uh, genocide in Nazi Germany and uh, slavery in the, in the United States. And I'm wondering if each of you in turn, and I'm not sure who should go first or what have you, but uh, if you could each comment on your understanding of the analogy of, of how analogous it is, in what ways is it, and in what ways is it not analogous, uh, uh, the, the two examples. The, um, the German Holocaust lasted 12 years. The African Holocaust lasted 300 years, 246, and still running. We're still in a holocaust in America. And until we pay, until reparations are paid and we can get control of our own lives, we're still under siege in America. So people were lost. It's been a long time, but Africans were handed from one generation to the next. So you, we don't have people living 400 years. And it wasn't over in the lifetime of people. So the people who, um, who were passed from one generation to the next in terms of inheritance are now at the end of the line waiting for our inherited wealth to be passed on to us. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, the Nazis rounded up the Jews and put them in camps and exterminated them. Black Africans were rounded up by other black Africans and sold at ports to slave traders. The uh, only thing that stopped the Nazis from exterminating all the Jews was that 70 million people died in a war to crush the Reich and, and liberate them. In America, from the very beginning, there were people who, white people, who said, and of course, you know, look, I don't want to be accused of underestimating the efforts of black people to liberate themselves, but the difference, we're talking about the difference here, white people worked, sacrificed, risked their lives, risked their reputations, risked whatever, getting beat up, whatever they did, uh, and even the founders, even slave owners who had, were attacked by one form of guilt or another set up a framework and then there was a war which took the lives of 600,000 Americans not other people not some other country come to liberate the slaves Americans fought to liberate the slaves and there's got to be some kind of balance here there's got to be some recognition of what other people have done for black people in this country. And it is huge. It's not small. It was huge in the war against slavery. It was huge in the battle against segregation. It has been huge in the battle to try to help uh, kids in the inner city who have fallen behind. And until I hear that, 
I don't hear it at all from the reparations crowd. Randall Robinson hates America. Anybody who's read his book can understand that. Uh, it, it, it is, there is no good going to come from sowing hatred. I don't care if the hatred comes from uh, uh, black people or white people. It's not going to solve any problems. Africans fought and died for the liberation of white people. Africans have fought and died for the liberation of people all over the world. Now we want liberation in this country, economic liberation. It is not about hatred. It may be tough love. When you hold the government under which you live accountable for its wrongdoings, you don't necessarily hate the government, you hate the wrongdoings. And the wrongdoings must be remedied, must be remedied. With the remedy, we can do for ourselves what the government has shown it is incapable, incompetent, or unwilling to do. With reparations, a reordering of resources, we may not have to build so many prisons. We can have more productive people. We can begin to do and create a people among us who can do for themselves who can contribute to the world as other people have done with Herculean uh, obstacles in their course. You cannot base public policy for 90% of the people on 0.5% of the people. And the, uh, it seems Lewis. that Mr. Horowitz begrudges us a few Oprah Winfrey's. I, I love Oprah Winfrey. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay, uh, I'd like to ask the next question of Mr. Horowitz, um, and I'm going to read it verbatim. Mr. Horowitz seems to absolve white Americans of quote-unquote responsibility for the conditions uh, faced by poor urban blacks. Uh, would you disagree with the statement that when upper-to-middle-class whites control state and national legislatures as they presently do, the money controlled by these legislatures is distributed inadequately with respect to inner city needs. Now, you know, I wanted to uh, just comment on the marriage issue. I, I, maybe people didn't hear me when I said in 1965, 75% of black children were born in two-parent families. And it was the welfare system that did it. But the welfare system is, was sponsored, created, architected, and imposed by the left, by progressives. Keep that in mind. Uh, no, I don't think that it's a problem of money. I think we've shown uh, we have spent trillions of dollars on inner cities. Look, the, the public schools, here's how they operate. If you're a really great teacher, uh, you get paid X amount of dollars. If you're a really terrible teacher, if you don't give a damn about these kids, if you've been assigned to an inner city school because you screwed up in another school, you get exactly the same. There is nothing that we produce in this society. No business is run by paying lousy workers and lazy workers and incompetent workers the same uh, that competent and creative people get. And that's the problem. And you can put all the money you want in those schools and they'll never change until we change the system. And you tell me, why is it when 70% of the African American community wants vouchers, why is the Democratic Party and every leftist in this room opposed to them? 
Why, do, why can't these people in the inner city, why can't black Americans in the inner city who haven't got the money have the same option for their kids that Al Gore has for his, that uh, Bill Clinton has for his, that Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton have for theirs? Why have vouchers when you can have reparations and you can build the kind of school that you think is appropriate for the African community? We need a liberating education, a self-determining education, and not the same kind of uh, education that we've been getting here in this country. And in speaking of teachers, um, where there were black teachers and white teachers, black teachers got paid less. And today, those teachers who have uh, retired, based on the fact that, that they got less during the time that they were working, they are now getting uh, a smaller retirement. So the impact of discrimination is with us. You know, when you look at American history, which is what the reparations requires, then you can see in every area of a discrimination, it has an economic impact and it continues to impact the African community to this day. But this reparations movement is not about individual people. It is about the U.S. government's accountability for its wrongdoings to the Holocaust in this country. The U.S. government forced different countries around the world to pay reparations, including Germany, to pay reparations to Israel before it was a state. The, uh, the U.S. government forced Iraq to pay reparations to Kuwait. You know, the U.S. government is good at forcing other people to do well by what they have done wrong, but it wants to act like it has done nothing wrong in this country, and we are saying that we're holding you accountable, U.S. government, for your wrongs against people in this country, not individual people. Um, the next question is for Mr. Horowitz. Individuals who immigrate to the country today may not be directly related to the slave trade. But um, inevitably, as they benefit from an economy built on the backs of blacks, they benefit indirectly from slavery. What if, I'm sorry here, I'm trying to re read out. Uh, so they benefit indirectly uh, from slavery. So then the question becomes, what if Jose benefits from an economy built on slavery, shouldn't he pay the same, uh, you know, re reparations that you know all American, all Americans share by well, their responsibility? I, I mean, I, this, this is, yeah. But look, every <laughs> there's no way that every black person in this country hasn't also benefited from the same wealthy economy. So you know, what's the big deal? The second thing is, I mean, it's questionable. It's questionable. Uh, slavery was an uneconomic system. I mean, it's a big historical debate. I am not an economic historian. But it is not a cut-and-dried matter that slavery was on balance a, 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 an economic uh, system that was beneficial. And as I say, after the Civil War, I mean, you know, read the books. I mean, Sherman burned the South from one end to the other. They tore up the railroad tracks. There was a, a, an incredible decrease in the wealth of the slave South. And fancy that. The poorest part of the country today is the former slave South. It is time to just stop looking at the past, stop playing the victim, and face the future, the present and the future. That's the, the whole issue here. 
It's a political issue. If nobody in his right mind thinks slavery was a good thing, nobody will deny that it was stolen labor, but there's nothing you can do about it. Just like you can't resurrect six million Jews who were killed by the Nazis, uh, you know, for some cockeyed idea they had. It can't be done. It's the past. Time to come into the present. Time to look around at the people around you and see if you're surrounded by white supremacists, uh, you know, Klansmen. This is not the reality here, and it's not the reality in most of America. Granted, you can always pick up a rock and find some, you know, something disgusting under it. But the, you know, you deal with unbalance a country which this is the best place on earth for a Jew to live or for a, a black person to live. And you know how you know that? Because you don't see a lot, and, and that's true of Mexicans as well. You don't see a big march out of America to other countries. They speak English in South Africa, they speak English in Jamaica. But you don't see a lot of black people going to any there or going to Canada. Why? Because this is the best place on God's green earth for a black person to be if it were a racist, oppressive society like the left likes and the reparations people claim, why would all those Haitians want to come here? Um, before, we, before Ms. Lewis responds, I'd just like to say we have time after this question for one more question in our, in our debate. Uh, Ms. Lewis? Okay, African people should forget the past, but we have a day of remembrance for Jewish people. African people should forget the past, and yet we have a Holocaust museum that speaks forever of the victims, the victims of the Jewish Holocaust. Jewish people received reparations. We rebuilt um, Germany. Uh, we, built, we built Europe after the war. We've airlifted people from Russia. We've given uh, oppressed people all over the world resources to rehabilitate them after their oppression. But everybody in the world is entitled to some resources except the African in America. The Haitian people deserve reparations from France. After their liberation from uh, France, they had to pay some indemnification to the French government, which needs to be returned to the African people. And the U.S. government isolated Haiti, just as we have isolated uh, Cuba, in terms of, re uh, of trade and what have you. So the Haitian people have not had the benefit of, of uh, commerce with the U.S. government, as, has, as have other governments. All right, I'd like to ask the final question of tonight's debate. It's addressed to Ms. Lewis. The question is, what about the Native American community? If you're talking about uh, returning the stolen loot, wouldn't that imply that we should give all the land back to the few surviving descendants of Native Americans or American Indians who uh, were not just enslaved but also murdered? Why must reparations be in the form of money, and the part of that question that I, I guess because it came first, and but I think should also sort of be uh, part of the question is, do you in fact think that Native Americans should get reparations, and if so, should it be in the form of title to all the land in the United States? Oh yes, I definitely think that uh, Native Americans should get reparations, and they have demanded reparations and received reparations. I was a part of the Alaska Native land claims where uh, Native Alaskans got land and money. Reparations means whatever 
uh, is required to make one whole again. So reparations are not only dollars, it could be land as well, it could be tax exemption, it could be a number of things. It is what we as the African community decided should be. We don't need the David Horowitz of the world determining what our community should have. We have to make that decision. That would be our job. And yes, uh, Native Americans should get their land back, and we should pay rent. Mr. Arts. Well, you know, um, uh, vouchers uh, puts the dollars directly in the hands of poor parents who don't have the income, uh, so they determine where their children go. The idea that everybody gets except black people, uh, I mean, it is so this. You know, I, I, I can't hardly relate to it. Uh, there isn't a black person at a university in this country who hasn't got something. Uh, there are trillions of dollars that have been spent on poor people, uh, more on black people, net, uh, than any other community. The 47% of the welfare roll today is black. 13% of the taxpayers who pay the taxes are black. The big net transfer of wealth, about one and a half trillion since the beginning of, uh, of welfare. Uh, white people in this country, Richard Nixon is responsible for affirmative action. I bet not too many people know that in this room. Uh, but it, it amounts to billions of dollars. You're talking about scholarships. You're talking about access. You're talking about jobs, you're talking about contracts for crying out tears, come into the 21st century. Of course you don't forget the past, but you don't live in it. That's the difference. We're talking about... I, I'm, because of the time constraints, I now uh, am forced to bring this debate to a close. I would like to thank both of our participants and the audience for coming out today. If everyone could please remain seated. Please remain seated. Um, if the two participants would like to leave the room, please. That would... uh, I just want to say that I have a paper here called The New Millennium uh, Black Reparations Report from the Future, which um, I... is sort of a vision of Thank what you. the possibility of reparations could be. And it's a basic paper that uh, the African community can use to build upon. It steps out 50 years and looks back as though reparations were paid to give you an idea of what a reparations settlement could look like. If those, thank you so much. If the audience could please remain seated until the two participants have left the room. I want to thank this part of Princeton for listening and, uh, and being civilized. Uh, at this time, I'd like to remind everyone that Wig Clio, not the Prince, is sponsoring a discussion session at 9 p.m. in Wig Hall. Um, everyone should feel free to attend. Uh, we will have representatives Joe Cochin, president of the USG, will be there. The president of the Black Student Union will be there. I will be there as well as David Dancer. Any of the questions you have pertaining to this evening or race repar reparations in general. Thank you.